You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. the Lord's will be done. Well, as painful as that might have been, that's, that's the conclusion you need to come to, and that's the place you need to be. But can you say that? Oh, it's one thing to say it. It's one thing to say it, knowing you've studied it in the Bible, knowing you've heard it taught. It's another thing when the actual events of life begin to work themselves out so that the cost is now reality. Jesus never promised an easy life to those who wanted to believe in Him. In fact, He said again and again that life as a believer would be difficult. Yet, as Pastor Danny will encourage you today, there's great hope and joy that come from a life following Jesus despite the challenges. You must resolve to let nothing deter you from letting the Lord's will be done in your life. Yes, it's difficult to live a life of total surrender to God, but the blessing of life after this life makes anything you go through worth it. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Mark, chapter 8, as he continues his message, what it means to follow Jesus and why it's worth it. It's not the kind of God that he says, well, let's get them in first, and then we'll tell them what it really means. Let's get them to sign the contract first, and then, then count the cost. No, no, you, you haven't read the Bible, or you don't know much about the Bible if that's what you believe. I mean, you go to places like Luke chapter 9 and verse 57, and you understand, as they were walking along the road, a man said to Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Have you really thought about what you're saying? He said to another man, follow me. And the man replied, first, let me go and bury my father. Now, what he's saying is, after dad dies, then I'll come. And Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead, telling us that his father wasn't a Christian, wasn't saved, wasn't, uh, hadn't followed Jesus. But you go proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And yet Jesus sees some kind of duplicity in this man because he said no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom. And you want to get really clear on the cost. You just turn a few pages to Luke chapter 14. Verse 25, large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And then he goes on to tell them practically, if you're going to build a tower, make sure you got enough to build it. Otherwise you start building it and you can't finish. He says, if you're going to go to war, make sure you got enough of an army to go in and win the battle. Otherwise, don't go into battle. 
Scripture after scripture where God makes it clear, and Jesus certainly made it clear. Doesn't want some shallow commitment. Doesn't want some just kind of just walk in and then you find out what the cost is. No, think about the cost. He gave his life for you, and he's saying, you give your life for me. And it's the best deal you'll ever make in your life. Hosea's day, chapter 9, verse 7, because of the wickedness in the land, the one who speaks for God, the prophet, it says, is considered a madman. That's interesting because in Acts chapter 26, when Paul's standing before Felix the governor and King Herod and, and Paul is discoursing on his testimony and about truth and he gets to the point in the gospel about the resurrection of the dead and Felix stops him and says, Paul, your great learning is driving you mad. <laughs> and Paul said, I'm not mad. I'm not insane. I'm just as sane as anyone here, maybe more so. And I wish that everybody listening to my voice today would become like me, except for these chains. But you see, on the surface, looking at this man in chain, and he's in chain because of his faith in Jesus Christ, and he's suffering because of his faith in Jesus Christ, and their perspective of him, <laughs> what in the world are you doing? You're nuts, man. But he wasn't. More wisdom than anybody else. Following a glorious path, but, but a path that on this side, has a cost. Paul writes to his number one disciple. He said, this guy, I got nobody else like him. You talk about a committed guy. But even Timothy. Paul is right to him in 2 Timothy 1, verse 8, and he says, don't be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me as prisoner. Association, just association with Paul would put you in a bad light in that world. But join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Timothy had pulled back. Timothy had done a lot of crying. He had done some suffering. And Paul says, hey, I remind you, fan into flame the gift that God's given you. Don't pull back. Get back in the, get back in the game. Get back in. The, yeah, I know it's tough. I know, you, you I know it's tough, he said. But don't be ashamed. You study history, political and papal Rome as a history of brutalizing, killing true saints of God. Uh, I got a whole list. I got a whole page full. Nero, Domitian, Trajan, Hadrian, Marcus Aurelius, Diocletian, many others brutally, brutally persecuted Christians. Paul the Apostle was executed by Nero. Polycarp was a direct disciple of John's. Rome burned him at the stake, and then he prayed this amazing prayer. I'm not going to read it, but he made this amazing prayer before they lit the fire. Among those persecuted by Rome were people like John Wycliffe. And guy who was influenced by John Wycliffe, I've mentioned him before, but it's, worthy, it's worthwhile to say again, John Huss. John Huss. He's noteworthy. Why? Because his nickname was the Goose. They burned John Huss at the stake. And somebody after he was burned at the stake for his refusal to deny Christ. And somebody said, the goose has been cooked. And that's where we get the phrase, your goose is cooked. William Tyndale translated the first English Bible taken directly from the Hebrew and Greek text. He was strangulated, and then they burned him at the stake. That's how much they hated him. He's already dead, but let's burn him anyway. And here's the third thing we learned from our text today. And boy, is it practical. To resolve that nothing and no one will deter me from living out the will of God for my life. Peter 
Peter has no clue that he's clueless. After the great revelation, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And then he pulls Jesus aside and begins to rebuke him. And Jesus turns to his disciples and he said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. And sometimes it's the people that seem to love you the most. And maybe even the most committed. I mean, Peter, here's Peter rebuking Jesus. He was sincere, but he was sincerely wrong. And while his first words about declaring who Christ was were were tremendously spiritual, his words now are from hell. And he's thinking like a mortal man, and he's thinking like somebody who has only the perspective that can see this side and only this life. And that's wrong thinking. A while back, we looked at Acts 21, where Paul is on his way to Jerusalem, and the Holy Spirit is warning him everywhere he goes. I only know that, that sufferings and prison await me. And on this particular trip, now God is no longer revealing it to Paul through his spirit, uh, by his spirit, but, but these other believers and even ministry associates of Paul's. Acts 21, you can read it on your own, but we covered it not too long ago. And these people are trying to compel Paul and, and say, dissuade him that no, you can't go to Jerusalem because the Holy Spirit's telling us and the same thing he's telling you. You can't go. And he says, why are you breaking my heart? I'm ready not only to suffer, but to die for the name of Christ. And it says there in the text in Acts 21, when, we, when he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, may the Lord's will be done. Well, as painful as that might have been, that's, that's the conclusion you need to come to, and that's the place you need to be. But can you say that? Oh, it's one thing to say it. It's one thing to say it, knowing you've studied it in the Bible, knowing you've heard it taught. It's another thing when the actual events of life begin to work themselves out so that the cost is now reality. You have prayed for your children. As I've prayed for mine, I hope you have. I've prayed since they were conceived. Oh, God, get a hold of their heart when they're young. Oh, God, save their soul. And I pray regularly, oh God, may your will be done in their lives. And you pray that prayer, and sometimes for some of us, depending on the path God has for our children, when they come and they say, Dad, God's called me to, and you go, what? You better go back and get a second opinion. And I'm going to give you one right now. I'm not sure that's the Lord. And sometimes the people who love you the most, the one who gave you birth, who carried you, who was conceived in your womb, mom, and you want the will of God for their life until the will of God means that God calls them somewhere where the grandkids are so far away geographically that it's not practical to see them more than maybe once every year or two, if that. And the place he's called them is a place where it's put them in harm's way. And when the reality comes, then the answer to those sincere prayers, and you can become the one, like Peter, that says, wait a minute, let me talk to you for a minute. Let me, we got another thing to talk about here. I, I can't be God. You see how it can happen. 
Perhaps for somebody else, fine. Oh, we pray for you. Oh, it's got to be hard, but that's the will of God for you and for your kids. But thank God my kids live right around the corner. When it gets real. You imagine? I mean, the favorite of the gospel accounts of the Christmas story is Luke chapter 2. I think that's the favorite one. I mean, that's the one where you, I mean, you read. It's just a great, that's a great text. And you read there in Luke chapter 2. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And you begin to read it, and you can hear the music in the background. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them. They were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. i bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Hallelujah. And you hear the music going. You're reading the text. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's Christ the Lord. This will be a sign you'll find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. And they go and they find the baby. And then they begin to tell everybody about the baby and everything the Lord had told them. And at Christmas, you know, usually we stop there and we say, hey, Merry Christmas. But that's not the end of Luke 2. And that's not the end of the Christmas story. Why did this baby come? He came to die. Imagine being Mother Mary and knowing that truth. And you read in Luke chapter 2, as Simeon, uh, this man who God had told him, you're not going to die until you see the Christ. And then Mary and Joseph, in obedience to the law of Moses, after Jesus is weaned, they bring him in Jerusalem to present him at the temple. Simeon sees them and God speaks to him and he goes, and he took the child in his arms in verse 28, he praised God saying, sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the sight of all people. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. And the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and he said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Some will be for him, some will be against him. And then he says to Mary and to Joseph and specifically to Mary, And a sword will pierce your soul too. And that is exactly what happened when the will of the Father was completely worked out in the life of her son. As she stood at the foot of the cross and she watched as her son Jesus, for something he didn't didn't do, he didn't deserve it. You talk about a child, it's innocent. And she had to watch her own son be crucified. But that's not the end of the story either. And let me tell you, every pain she ever had and every scar and blood that came out of the sword that pierced her soul, watching her only son die on that cross has been completely healed because she's now with him in eternity. And everything she suffered And seeing the will of God worked out for her son and through her son has been worth it all. And that brings me to my last point. And from the text, a life perspective that includes resurrection and belief in a world that's not only not a part of this world, but it's far better, far better.
right after Jesus reveals this to them, and it says he spoke plainly of what was going to happen to him in Jerusalem. You go to Mark chapter 9, and you go down to verse 9. After the Mount of Transfiguration, as we call it, as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. You get to the same chapter, verse 30. They left that place, passed through Galilee. Jesus didn't want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He wants them to get it. He said to them, Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They'll kill him. After three days, he'll rise. But they didn't understand what he meant. And they were afraid to ask him about it. You get to chapter 10, verse 32. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the 12 aside and he told them what was going to happen. We're going up to Jerusalem. Son of man is going to be betrayed to the chief priests, teachers of the law. They'll condemn him to death, hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he'll rise. At the very final Passover meal, Mark's gospel, chapter 14, records for us, Jesus said, after I've risen, I'll go ahead of you in the Galilee. And they never, ever got it. And if you don't get it, when it's time for you to bear your cross, and every day has a cross to bear. But when you get to that place in life where the circumstances dictate that the cross is much larger now. And the cost now is much greater. And it involves you personally and the path that God has called for you or it involves your children or it involves your family or it involves whoever. If you don't have a perspective of resurrection and a world that's much better than this world, you're going to have a hard time getting through it. If they had got what Jesus was trying to teach them, They wouldn't have been behind locked doors in fear. They wouldn't have been, what in the world happened? Everything we did, all our hope was in him. We knew he was the one. And now he's dead and he's buried. Because they never took the context of what he said. They They never heard resurrection. All they could do is deal with the things in this life. And the things in this life said to them, this is just not right. And something really wrong. But it was the exact plan The Father had laid out before the beginning of time. And if they'd have got it, even though the pain was real, it wouldn't take away the pain, but the pain would be mixed with hope and joy that nobody can understand. Where you can go through it and you don't enjoy it, but you say, I know this is not going to last. And there's resurrection on the other side. And there's a world that I'm going to enjoy that's going to make whatever I had to suffer in this life worth it all. It's just so wonderful. And if you take the last statement wrong, then you just take it wrong. Beam me up. You know, it hit me the other day. I'm driving to the office, and it hit me the other day. When I teach about Moses, one of the things I'll I'll say many times that I teach about Moses is that, you know, Moses knew he had a calling on his life, and yet, you know, he made those terrible mistakes in the beginning, and he knew God had called him, but but he goes out and he slays the Egyptian, and and God sends him to the backside of the desert for 40 years. And uh, after 40 years on the backside of the desert, Numbers tells us Moses was the most humble man on the face of the earth. 
And that was when God said, now I can really use you like I want to use you. And it hit me the other day driving to work. Because I, I usually teach about Moses and I say, you know, these days we usually, we're not going to live long enough to get that kind of humility, you know. You know, we'd be dead. Because Moses was 40 when he went to the backside of the desert. He was 80 on graduation day and he spent 40 years in ministry. He died at 120. But it hit me the other day driving to work. You say, you keep saying this. Would you tell us what hit you? That I'm 40 years old in the Lord. And I feel like I'm just, just getting to that point where God can really use me. And because of that place I'm at, I can stand here before you. I've said it before, but I've never been able to say it with this kind of deep, deep, deep conviction. I mean, it's, it's deep. <laughs> Other than my wife, and I love her so much, and it's been the best year of our marriage. Because finally I'm maturing. Now, when I say I'm maturing, I didn't say I was perfect. If you're looking for perfection, that's called heaven. But maturity, man, I can, I can sit before you. I can sit before you other than my wife and enjoying my wife for however many more years we have and enjoying my kids. And I think, I think the relationship with my kids is better than it's ever been. I think. You can ask them. And if it's bad, don't tell me the answer. Just let, me, <laughs> let them fake it, you know. And I'm looking forward to whatever else the Lord might use me for to further his kingdom in this life. But other than those things, I don't want to stay here. When I read Philippians 1, I read it more personally than I've ever read, read it before. I read in verse 20 in Philippians 1 where Paul says, I know that God will give me sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted when my body, whether by life or by death. I can say with the deepest conviction, not only do I feel closer to the Lord than I've ever been in my life, but I can say with the deepest conviction, other than enjoying family and ministry, et cetera, et cetera, I don't want to be here. Paul said, I know it's needful for me to remain, and I know I will remain. But he says, I have a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is better by far. Unless you come to the place you have that kind of perspective, you're not ready for the cross that you have to bear. But once you come to that place, nothing can rock your world. Nothing can rock your world. Because here, it's Christ. Doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. Doesn't matter what anybody else does. Doesn't matter what they think about you. Ultimately, it only matters what Christ thinks. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord, your Lord and Savior, you've never personalized who he is, and he's become your Lord and Savior. You can know all about him. You can believe the truth about him. But unless he's become your Lord and Savior, you're lost. No matter how much you know, no matter how religious you are, no matter how many churches you've been in and what kind of churches, doesn't matter. And you need to repent, and you need to receive Jesus. And he needs to come, become personal to you. Because until he come, becomes personal to you, you just know about him. You don't know him. And you'll never be saved by knowing about him. For some of us, it's the reality of the cross that God has called us to bear. And, and maybe it's, wow, I haven't understood what's going on in my life. Well, maybe there's a fresh understanding that maybe it's connected with God's will for your life. God's will. And even though you may not understand the suffering, the suffering has an eternal purpose. We know that all things work together for the good. All things won't, don't work together good. And as, as wrong as some people are, some of my own staff will say, it's all good. It's not all good. It all works together for good, but there's evil. But God will take the evil and he'll turn it around for good. We come alive.
Thanks for joining Pastor Danny today as he walks us through the book of Mark. This New Testament gospel book conveys a fast-paced progression of events that occurred during Jesus' ministry. It's almost as if the writer intended to communicate that Jesus was continually forward-thinking toward the cross and his mission and purpose here on earth. In Mark 10.45, it says, Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. This is the ultimate summary of the book of Mark. Jesus came humbly as a servant to reach the lost. Are you feeling lost today? Or have you been found and are following Jesus fully now? No matter what your answer is, we'd love to hear from you. Our email address is info at ccfstpete.church. Let us know how you heard about the living word and how we can be praying for you. That address again is info at ccfstpete.church. If you're in the St. Petersburg area, come join us and hear from Pastor Danny at Calvary Chapel Fellowship. We're holding services each Saturday at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. You'll find all the information you need on our website, ccfstpete.church. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope that you'll join us again for our next edition, right here on The Living Word.